Welcome back to the Health Longevity Secret Show, and I'm your host, Dr. Robert Lufkin. Today, we unlock the secrets to rewriting your genetic destiny with Dr. Bruce Lipton, the visionary scientist who's flipping the script on what controls our fate. Imagine a world where our environment, rather than the DNA, holds the key to transforming our lives. That's precisely what we explore in this captivating conversation with Dr. Lipton. From the revelation that that our surroundings can command cells to become muscle, bone, or fat, to the empowering realization that we can architect our reality. This episode is a treasure trove of knowledge for anyone eager to take the reins of our biological blueprint. (laughs) We wrap up this journey by discussing the profound implications in Dr. Lipton's book, The Biology of Belief and the revolutionizing field of epigenetics. Dr. Lipton provides a fresh perspective on the spiritual and interconnected nature of our existence, engaging us in a dialogue that merges science with energy fields that define our reality. Get ready to challenge the notion of competitive survival and instead embrace a world where balance with nature isn't just idealistic, but imperative for our evolution. This episode is not just a conversation, it's an invitation to step into a new paradigm of health and awareness. This week's episode is brought to you by El Nutra, maker of the prolonged fasting mimicking diet. I've just started using their five-day fasting plan and it's really pretty wild. If you want to try it, use the link in the show notes for 20% off. Please support this podcast by checking out their website and taking a look at their other innovative products. And now, please enjoy this week's episode. And I am so thrilled today to have with us a guest that I've read his uh, uh, biology of belief many years ago and was tremendously struck by that. And uh, Bruce Lipton is our guest. He's a cell biologist and an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. And I just mentioned his best-selling book, The Biology of Belief, and he has a few other books as well. I want to give a brief shout out to my to our mutual friends, Sun and Al Lindell, otherwise known as Dr. and Mrs. Future, have a radio show up in Santa Cruz where Bruce spends half of the year. And so, Bruce, welcome to our program. Steve, oh, and Robert hiding out there in the dark someplace, Robert Lufkin, MD, and you and I and all of us here sitting here have a wonderful mission, which I'm so happy you invited me to participate in, and that is to empower our listeners to recognize that uh, you're not victims of the world, you're creators of this world, and that if you understand some aspects of that creation, it can enhance your life profoundly. So thank you guys for uh, letting me join you uh, and, and play in this room of empowerment. Great, great. Let's begin by, um, you know, one of the early comments in your book, you talk about early in your career, but some of your aha moments that led you into this uh, into this field. Can you share some of that with our audience, Bruce? Well, very quickly, basically, I was teaching um, students, especially medical students, the concept of something called genetic determinism. That was a belief at the time that said genes control the character of your life. 
and I have to emphasize because we program the public to believe uh, about this power of the genes. Uh, and I say, well, if genes control your life, yeah, as far as you know, did you pick the genes you came with? And I go, no, not necessarily. I don't know. Can you change the genes if you don't like them? I go, no, no, you can't do that either. And then I add on top and the genes turn on and off by themselves. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, that information makes me a victim of my heredity. The genes control me. I don't control them. And that's where people start to get the belief, oh, my God, there's cancer running in my family. I can get the cancer, Alzheimer's running, diabetes. Uh, these are genes, and they come into me, and I'm just a victim. That's what we were programming. But my research on stem cells, which are embryonic cells in your body, and well, let's give a reason why stem cells so people understand. A human body is made out of about 50 trillion cells, and the cells are the living entity. Me, I'm a community. Bruce is the name for a community of 50 trillion cells. I look like an entity, a single entity, but if you had a microscope, you go, no, he's got 50 trillion citizens in there. And I go, so uh, the, the significance of all this is that these 50 trillion cells, uh, many of them die very quickly. It's, it's turnover is very quick. Red blood cells turn over very quickly. Uh, the the um, skin cells are turning over very fast uh, and we're losing cells uh, and we're losing, I mean, the entire digestive tract from mouth to anus, trillions of cells are replaced every three days and everything goes, well, wait a minute, what do you mean they're replaced? I said, well, they're dying. We're losing cells by the millions every minute, just millions of cells just popped off. I go, Whoa, this is scary. I go, why? Because if I can't replace millions of cells, then I don't have a very long life in front of me. I go, no, you don't. But we have in our community what are called stem cells, which the original name was embryonic cells. But once you were born, we had to change the name. You're not an embryo. So now we call them stem cells. They're embryonic cells that replace all the ones that are dying. Do you have embryonic stem cells in your body? Well, if you're watching this program, then yes, you do, because uh, you wouldn't have been alive long enough to watch this. Uh, so all of us have stem cells. And I go, so what? I said, well, I was cloning stem cells. That just means I take one stem cell, put it in a dish by itself uh, in a culture dish, and it divides every 10 or 12 hours. So I start with one cell, then there's two, then there's four, eight, 16, doubling. At the end of the week, I have 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. Recognize one important fact. All cells came from the same single parent. So that meant all 30,000 cells are genetically identical. Well, I split the cells up into three Petri dishes. So three dishes, but they all have genetically identical cells. And I feed cells in a tissue dish, something we call culture medium that we make in the lab. I go, but what is culture medium? This is going to come back and get us in a minute. Culture medium is a laboratory version of blood. I go, so what does that mean? I say, cells grow in an environment, the same in the body where, where the blood is the environment. And so I make the tissue culture medium in the lab by mixing the components together, but I can change some of the composition, which in my experiment, I made three different versions of culture medium. Culture medium is the environment in which the cells are living. So I have three different environments. I say, so what? I say, well... In culture dish one with environment A, the cells form muscle. In culture dish two with environment B, the cells form bone. And in culture dish three with environment C, the cells form fat cells. There's one profound conclusion, and that is this. What controls the fate of the cells? The answer is they were all genetically identical. The only thing that was different was the environment. 
And all of a sudden, back in 1967, I'm doing this research while teaching genes control life in the classroom, in the laboratory. It's like, no, the cells are telling me, no, it's the environment that is controlling the genes. And I go, oh, wow, it's profoundly different, isn't it? I say, what's the, what's the difference? I said, in the classroom, genetic determinism is teaching people are victims of their heredity. In the laboratory, the cells are telling me, change the environment, you change the genetics. And I go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I control the environment. I go, yeah. And then all of a sudden I said, well, then I'm not a victim of my genes. Since I control the environment, I'm controlling their fate. I go, yes. So and all of a sudden, then you're no longer a victim. You are a master of your genetics. Well, this is what I found back in 1967. Of course, all my colleagues looked at me as I am the loony Ben crazy guy because we all know that genes control life except for Lipton. And um, they were trying to tell me I was crazy, which I, for a little period of time, to be honest, I thought maybe I am crazy. Why? I believed in this stuff so much and nobody else in the world was believing in it. So I thought, okay, I'm the crazy guy because crazy people, they believe stuff they think is real, but they're crazy. And I thought I was crazy. And it was interesting because at my first seminar on this topic, I, I left the university. Let's go back for a reason. My research conflicted with what I was teaching. And I thought, I have to teach according to the curriculum. The curriculum says I have to teach genes control life. I know this is not true. And I realized I can't go back in the classroom because uh, I'll be teaching the wrong thing. My option was I left the university. And, but I wanted to come back, get a scientific opinion about my new research. Oh, I was so excited because I started to understand how it worked. And it had to do not with the genes, but with the skin of the cell. The membrane of the cell was the brain of the cell. Uh, just for people to understand, the skin of the human is the source of the brain of the human. Same as the skin of the cell is the brain of the cell. Uh, and Bruce, Bruce yes. let me interrupt you for one minute. <laughs> I love. I, I was carried away there, Stephen. You can see that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you, you were jumping into my third question. I want to go back to my second one first. Okay. Okay. Uh, and because I, I'd like us to orient in terms of uh, getting your opinion on longevity and oh, longevity—that's that's a good and thing. Then we could fit that into your brilliant. Uh, findings okay question number two <laughs> question number two number two is what your perspective is on how and why we age and on longevity okay well the first thing my research revealed that the genes did not control these processes and so people think genes control longevity i say no they don't they don't control longevity uh uh, uh i say one of the aspects that controls longevity is associated with our dna I go, what's that? The end of the DNA is, remember, the end of a DNA is a double helix. And if the helix at the end opens up so that it starts to spread apart, then enzymes will go in there and destroy the rest of the DNA. So you don't want the ends of the DNA helix to fall apart. Remember the old days with shoelaces and they had a little plastic cap called an aglet. They got a name, aglet. And that holds the fibers together because if the plastic cap comes off, then the fibers fray. And then you try to cut it through the hole. That's when we have problem in gym. Okay, but what happens is to prevent our DNA from the DNA from falling apart. At the end, there are extensions of the DNA. They don't, they're not genes. It's just DNA molecules that don't code for anything. It's just like extra track. Uh, 
okay? And I go, relevance of this track is called a telomere. I go, well, what's a telomere? It's an extension of the DNA. And I go, why do you need an extension of DNA? And the answer is this. Imagine my arm is DNA. There's an enzyme that called DNA polymerase. It moves down the track like a train. And as it moves down, it leaves behind a copy of the DNA. It just went over. But I said, well, what happens when it gets to the end of the track? I say, well, guess what? It cannot copy the part that it's on because to copy it has to pass over it. But if it passes over, it's off. So I say, then what happens is when it gets to the end, it can't copy it. So the end is now shorter. The DNA is a little shorter. I say, the next time you copy the DNA, it does the same thing. Comes to the end, can't copy the end. Now the DNA is a little shorter. Every time you copy it, it gets a little shorter. The telomere. There's a point if you run out of telomere, the next time you copy it, you're cutting into the genes. And I go, well, what's the consequence? And that is aging, depression, uh, uh, and disease starts when we start cutting into the gene program. Okay. So the relevance is very clear. And that is this, is that telomeres allow me to copy the DNA without cutting off the, the end. But that led people to believe, well, then our life is determined by the length of the telomere. And this is back in the 60s, Leonard Hayflick, a scientist, tried to calculate how much length, how much you lose each time. And if you lose this much each time, how much lifespan can we have before the cells can't copy again? About 90 years ago, wow, wasn't that good? It's coincidence. We live 90 years. It should be this way. So everybody thought human lifespan, about 90 years. But... A woman, Elizabeth Blackburn, discovered an enzyme called, uh, when you make an enzyme out of a protein, you add ASE. So, okay, so telomere ACE, it's called telomerase, telomere ACE is an enzyme that makes telomeres. I said, what do you mean? If you activate this enzyme, you can increase the length. I said, well, if you increase the length, then what are you doing? You're extending the lifespan. Because now the cells can keep dividing before they reach the end where they start cutting into the gene. So the length of the telomere is proportional to our lifespan. But I say we came with a telomere length, but we can increase the telomere length with the enzyme. That's where the problem comes. Because I say, well, there are conditions where the enzyme works and there are conditions where the enzyme does not work. I go, well, if it doesn't work, then I can't extend the uh, the telomere and my life is shorter. If I can extend it, then I can keep going on and on. I go, yeah. And I say, so what are the conditions? And it turns out this is simply the condition. How much do you want to live? I go, what do you mean is that? I go, it turns out people that whose lives are not supported, where they feel stressed out all the time, they feel like uh, uh, people who uh, have been abused. They do they wake up and say, Hey, another day to get abused? No, they wake up going, Oh my god, we got to go do this again. Uh, PTSD, abuse, um, very bad nutrition. Uh, it says I'm not supporting the system, lack of love, yeah, because love is uh, it enhances our vitality. Uh, when you have love, you live longer, when you don't have love. You don't have as much vitality anymore, okay? It also changes our physiology. Well, that's where the physiology turns back into the genetics at this point, okay? Uh, and let me just add this. One of the most important things for extending our life is being in service. What does that mean? That means you have something to do. <laughs> and your feedback is, if I'm in service, I, I have to stay here longer. I have a job. I am working. This is why people, when they retire, 
frequently just go down off the edge. Why? They're telling themselves, I'm done. I said, don't, don't say that, because the biology will take that consciousness and manifest it. If the consciousness is life is struggle, life is hard, life is abusive, there's no love, I have nothing to do, you are unconsciously telling yourself, I don't need any more life. That's what you're saying. Right. These things inactivate the enzyme that makes the telomere. And it's the opposite, the things that activate it. Like what? Well, first of all, enjoying life. If you enjoy life, what you're saying is, I want more life, okay? I have gratitude. I have happiness. I go, yeah, that means, hey, let's keep doing it. This is working, okay? Yeah. As I said, a diet is really important because that means we're taking care of the machine, which means I'm making an effort to keep it working beautifully. So let's keep it working. Yeah, I just- Being in I, love, being in I love. Just, yeah. yeah. I just, uh, in, in line with what you're saying, I just published a, a article in Psychology Today I said, the title is purpose. Can this be the ultimate and use it or lose it? Well, the answer is from my, without reading it, the answer to me is yes. <laughs> yes, because purpose, and that was the one I said about service. If I have something to do, I'm not ready to finish. Right. And basically, that's a feedback system. It says, well, if I'm not ready to finish, I'm not ready to end. If I'm not ready to end, I got to make more telomere. So the enzymes work with hope, gratitude, something to look forward to. Love means, oh, I love my life. I want to enjoy this. Yeah, more life, uh, service. These are the things. So all of a sudden it says that our longevity is not determined at that moment. Our longevity is based on how well we can keep supporting the telomeres for growing, which then is a reflection of what we think about our lives and how much we want our lives or how much we're tired of our lives because it's not giving us any joy or happiness or something like that. So all of a sudden I say, well, then, well, guess what? How long should we live? It is now estimated that the lifespan of a human minimum 150 years. And I go, 150 years, we're sure as hell not getting there. I go, well, there's other reason too. So we have one reason one. Do you want to live 150 years? <laughs> a lot of people whose lives are struggles say, God, I don't even want to do this anymore. So 150 is way out of line. But there's another factor, and this comes into uh, yours and Robert's work. Uh, and that other factor is simply this, is that eating food is shortening our life. Eating food? I go, yeah, you know why? When you burn fuel, you also create toxic byproducts. So let's say in the car, I burn the gasoline. I say, well, then don't breathe the exhaust. The exhaust is a toxic byproduct. And I go, eating food has a toxic byproduct called free radicals. Free radicals are charged ions that can punch holes in the cell. And when you punch holes in the cell, you can kill the cells. So the more food you eat, the more free radicals you make, the more free radicals, the more cells you kill. And guess what? There comes a point where uh, you're killing a lot of cells because the amount of food is way beyond what humans need. In a laboratory, what they found out was this. Let's say rats. When I grew rats in the lab, we had a box and then we had a little grill over the box. And then we put all the rat pellets so that they could eat. So we didn't give them, here's your breakfast pellet and here's your dinner pellet. No. Put all the pellets in there. Let them eat what they want. They found out that actually, if they stopped giving them that much food, but actually gave them just the subsistence amount, just necessary, they doubled the lifespan 
of the animals. And I said, well, did that just work with rats? I said, no, it worked with dogs, it worked with monkeys, and now we have information that also works with humans. We are eating way too much food, and the toxic byproduct of our diet is in the end killing us, uh, and we should be eating subsistence. But we're programmed to eat. <laughs> yes, when you were a kid, eat breakfast. That's the most important meal of the day. And lunch is a great place for a social hangout and eat some food. And dinner is what you're waiting for when you came home. And we focus on this. And I go, we didn't need to eat that much food. And yet now, guess what? We supersize it. And I go, Jesus, <laughs> now, now you're killing us even faster. A supersized meal. Uh, the idea was to go the other way. Right. subsistence take it down reduce it down and the diet that we eat is terrible it's terrible because it has too many carbohydrates in it carbohydrates were not a mainstay of early humans they were the concept a consequence of agriculture uh, uh we never ate that many carbs carbs are uh, pretty much damn destructive at some point the amount that we eat yes Stephen. bruce um a question i i saw a study that said it's not only the reduction in overall intake, but it's the distribution of how you eat it. So that if you have periods of non-eating, that works better than if you distri distribute 60% diet throughout the day. Is that your understanding? Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently the, this is a very important part of the whole program is fasting, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I say, why? I say, look, human physiology did not develop this year. <laughs> Human physiology is a million years ago. I go, well, what does that mean? I said, well, there was no farming and you could get whatever food you could find. And so that's why they didn't have lots of, they didn't sit down with a Thanksgiving dinner anywhere. They were lucky to get some berries and something they could put in their face. So we grew up in a world with a very small dietary support. And then once agriculture came in, then food was unlimited. And the system, now remember, before agriculture, if you could find food, you would eat it anywhere. Why? Because you never know when you're going to find it again. So there was the idea was, if food was available, eat it, because you don't know if you're going to get another meal. In today's world, we're still driven by the same fact, but the food is available, you know, all day long, all year long. And it's like, oh, well, then the drive is we're still eating but there was no need now because there was no shortage of the food like it was when we created our original physiology. So uh, this is a, a overkill. We're killing ourselves on that. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, that becomes another important part of the longevity is how much food we're eating, how much our telomeres are growing and things like this. So the important understanding is we are shortening our lifespan with our behavior. Not our genetics. <laughs> and I say, because if it was genetics, then we're the victim. But I say, no, this is environment. We're the creators. Yeah. And if we understand this, then what we're saying is to save ourselves and the planet right. Right. is to cut down the food intake and extend your life. And when people start to do this, guess what? All the diseases uh, that we are really facing start to all disappear. People think diseases are due to genes. A simple fact, less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. I go, where's the disease coming from? I go, 90% of disease coming from the stress. 
<laughs> and I say that's the kind of the stress can shorten your life. That's where the problem comes from. And stress uh, is debilitating. Uh, uh, if I have an option, do I have an option? Nod your head like that. Then I'll say, yeah, I got that. I got an option, Steve. Talk here, right here. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> the point I want to bring this up is stress is a, a protection mechanism. It's to uh, protect us from something that threatens us. And it could be anything. It could be a saber-toothed tiger. Could be uh, a bill from the insurance company. You know, all these things threaten us at some level, and we start to stress. And I say, well, what does stress do? It gets you ready to run, fight or flight. That's what stress is. Get away from this tiger. Get away from that insurance company. Run. <laughs> so the concept of being stressed causes us to release stress hormones into the body. I go, yes, it does. I say, what's the significance of stress hormones? And this is what it's all about. Simply this to redistribute the energy of the body into the arms and legs so you could escape, fight or flight, the stress that's pursuing you. So I said, well, how, how do you get the energy into the arms and legs? I go, well, first of all, blood is the source of the energy. So the more blood in the arms and legs, the more energy you have to use those to escape the threat. So I said, well, how do you get more blood into the arms and legs? I go, this is a right out of a physiology book, Stephen. You know this one. It says, when stress hormones are released into the body, the blood is preferentially sent to the arms and legs. I go, what's that? I say, the blood is preferentially going to the arms and legs and stress because that's what I need to run. So I say, oh, big question. Where was the blood before? It was preferentially in the arms and legs. I go, it's in the gut. I say, what's the function of the gut? maintenance of the body, repairing the body, assimilating the food, getting rid of the waste stuff, filtering all of the systems. That's the stuff that keeps us healthy and long life. And I go, so wait a minute. Stress is in my life. Saber-toothed tigers come in. I go, what? Stress hormones come in my body. I said, what are they going to do? They cause the blood vessels in the gut to squeeze shut. I go, why? Because that pushes the blood from the gut to the arms and legs so I could run. I say, so, oh, first thing of stress, you shut down the maintenance of the body. Okay. I go, ooh, that's, that's dangerous right there. But then I say, there's a second source of where energy is being used and you don't want it to be used when you're being chased by that tiger. I go, what? The immune system. The immune system uses tremendous amount of energy because if you've ever been sick, you may not even had the energy to get out of the bed. So I said, well, what if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger and you've got a bacterial infection? I go, how do you want to distribute the energy? Well, I can give you the answer. It's simple. The hell with the infection. <laughs> if the tiger catches you, that infection is not a problem for you anymore. So basically it says, well, then I don't need the immune system if I'm being chased by the tiger. I say, absolutely not. I say, and this is the part that comes to what the point I'm trying to make after all those words is when stress hormones are released into the body, they shut down the immune system to conserve energy to be used to run away from the threat. So I say, oh, you shut down the immune system with stress hormones? I say, it's so effective that when surgeons are going to take an organ from one person's body and put it into another person's body, they don't want the recipient's immune system to reject the organ they transplant. They give the patient before the transplant stress hormones. And that shuts down the immune system. So when they transplant the organ, it's not going to be attacked by the immune system. So 
Stress hormones are so effective at shutting down the immune system, it is used therapeutically. So I say, so now where are we? I say, we're being chased by a tiger. Tiger. I shut the blood flow down in my gut. It's in my arms and legs. I shut off the immune system because I can't afford to waste energy on that while I'm being chased by the tiger. And I go, there's one more. I might as well add the third one because I call this an insult to the injury. You just got two injuries, shut off growth and immune system. You want the insult? The conscious mind, which is right behind your forehead, is creative thinking, but it's a very slow processor. The rest of the brain back here, about 90%, is called subconscious mind, which is a million times more powerful a processor than the conscious mind and controls the functions of the body, essentially. And I go, so what's the point? I say, if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, it's not time to think. <laughs> Thinking will slow you down. So I said, well, what happens? Remember I said the stress hormones cause the blood vessels in the gut to squeeze shut and push the blood to the outside? The same stress hormones in the forebrain squeeze shut, but that pushes the blood to the hindbrain. That's where the reactions occur, reflex reactions. It's fast compared to thinking. So when your stress hormones in, are put into the system, you close the blood vessels down in the forebrain and operate from hindbrain reflexes, which mean we become less intelligent. The more fear you're in, the less intelligent you become. And the less intelligent you become, the more you look for somebody who is going to save me. The pharmaceutical company is here. We're here to the rescue. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah? How much does that cost? Whatever it costs, you buy it. Okay? <laughs> the point is what? You live in fear. They're offering the resolution. And that's what people do. They buy the resolution without recognizing they could have handled it if they were using their conscious mind, but that's not working. That's the one that shuts off, and then the result is I'm victim. Victim means powerless. Yeah. Powerless means find somebody who will protect you, and that's why we spend our money getting protection from everywhere. So here's the point. Bottom line, three things. A, close down the blood vessels in the gut, shut down the maintenance of the body. B, shut down the immune system, conserve energy so we don't have any problem. C, shut down the intelligence of the system so that we can use the uh, rapid processing of reflex. And, and I go, well, this is not a problem if you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger. Why? How long does that run? 10 minutes? <laughs> if you escape the, say, the tiger in 10 minutes, guess what? There's no more stress. Oh, everything comes back to order again. I just shut it down for 10 minutes. Today's world is, of course, 24-7, 365 stress. You are dripping stress hormones in your body all day long, all year long, and the stress hormones ultimately are debilitating because you can't grow and maintain the body in a state of stress. And if you can't maintain the body in that state of stress, then your lifespan has gotten significantly shorter. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of words. Okay. <laughs> There's a beautiful explanation of the impact of stress. Uh, it was it was really elegant. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it, but I just also want people to know that 90% of illness is all stress. Right. That, uh, oh, cancer. Oh, let me start again. Less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. There is no gene for cancer. No, there's not one gene. I got that gene. I'm going to get cancer. There's not one gene that causes cancer. Well, then where the hell is the cancer coming from? And the answer is 
lifestyle and behavior that are not in harmony. And all of a sudden I said, well, then to get rid of cancer, do I have to radiate the body and throw poison in there and kill all the cells? I go, look, if you didn't have cancer and you went through that chemotherapy and the radiation stuff, you would get sick as a dog. <laughs> and I go, and here are people who are already sick. And then they push up through all this and they make them sicker. And I go, because cancer cells are not the problem. Cancer cells are the symptom of a problem. The cancer was not caused by the gene. The cancer was caused by not being in harmony with the world in which you live. And as a result, you activate a gene. But first, the stimulus was not being in harmony. If you want to get rid of a cancer, you, you don't change the genes, you change the consciousness. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's why our our whole summit is body and mind here. Very much mind, very. I just want to go back to one of the things you said earlier. You talked about telomeres and telomere ACE and ways yes. that we can actually increase telomere ACE to uh, repair telomeres. Yes. Then, then you mentioned free radicals and all the things that create free radicals. Is there a comparable mechanism that addresses free radicals, or are we just stuck with free radicals? No. Eat less. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Your The amount of food is proportional to the amount of poisoning. That's what it basically says. And therefore, uh, overeating supersized meals, uh, not exercising and not using the system, but putting in all that food that's being digested, ultimately, uh, the, the side effects of the digestion process are where the problem yeah. comes from. So would, say, intermittent fasting repair free radical production, reduce free radicals? In the reduce body? it, for sure. That's the biggest issue. Because the fewer cells you kill, the less you're killing yourself. That's just, it's logic at that point. So the idea is subsistence diet and um, basically a very important reduction in carbohydrates because carbohydrates are a source of major problems and there's the diabetes type 2 uh, uh, diabetes type 1 genetic issue diabetes type 2 is 100% environment mm -hmm. people who have diabetes type 2 can stop diabetes type 2 as soon as they get back in harmony with the environment against about the eating and the food and what you're doing and stuff like that uh a great, a great story uh, uh i can't remember exactly who it was was running a program it was called raw for 30 days and basically said, they said, look, we'll find insulin-dependent diabetics type 2 that are using insulin, and we're going to promise them something. You come with us for 30 days and eat a raw food diet. You will not have diabetes at the end of 30 days. Well, everybody thought, oh, this is really cool. They signed up for it. But about day three, man, they were climbing the walls because it wasn't McDonald's burgers, what they were eating now, and their favorite foods. Like, we're eating, But they put up with it. What was the point? At the end of 30 days, none of them had diabetes anymore. And I said, yeah, it's environmental. That's why it was caused. But then came the bigger question I asked them. So what happened when they went home? And nine out of 10 of them became diabetic. I say, why? Because they went back into the same program behavior that they had when they created the diabetes. They left it for 30 days outside of their world, lived this other way, got clear of the diabetes, but when they came back home, they came back into the exact same environment that precipitated the diabetes and they got it again. Environment <laughs> right, is right. the issue we're dealing with. Yeah. 
So Bruce, now we're gonna get back to where you, uh, we left off a little while ago about the membranes. Yeah. So you, <laughs> in, your, in your book, at one point you refer to the magical membrane. Yes. And then at an, another point, you reword it in as membrane. So uh, tell us about the membrane and its importance. Yeah. When I discovered the research, which was going to become epigenetics, where the environment changed the fate of the cells, the first issue I have my colleagues is they, well, how does that work? Well, I had no idea how it worked. I had the observation that it worked, but I couldn't say how it worked. So the media, they said, well, no mechanism. We're not paying attention to you. And so I had to search. I said, well, what is facilitating this, this thing? I said, well, first of all, environmental signals. I go, well, yeah, but the environmental signals have to get inside the cell. I go, well, how do they get inside the cell? Well, first of all, they have to cross through the skin of the cell, the membrane, okay? And when you look at the membrane in the electron microscope, it is the simplest little structure. It's so thin that scientists didn't even know cells had membrane until the late 1940s when the electron microscope was developed. Up to then, they just thought cells were like jello with fruit in it, and they just hold the, all the organelles like that. But then they found all cells have the same membrane. It's a in the microscope, a very so thin you can't see it with a regular microscope. It's, it's visualized as dark light, dark like an Oreo cookie. Okay, and, and that's all it was—just simple dark light, dark, very thin. In biology, there is an understanding, or was an understanding, that complexity uh, is revealed uh, complexity of function is revealed in the complexity of the structure when you look at the cell membrane it had the least complex of any structure inside the cell so immediately everybody well what membrane that's just like plastic wrap that holds the cell together it's not more function than that when i started to look into the nature of the cell membrane uh, i started to realize something you couldn't see in the microscope and that is there are proteins embedded into that cell membrane and there are two classes of proteins. One is called receptors uh, in the skin of the cell. Receptors. I go, well, we have receptors. Eyes, ears, nose, taste, touch, pain, temperature, pressure. I say, ah, just like the cells, our receptors are built in the skin. I say, what do they do? They read the environment. Then what? They send the information to the inside so the cell adjusts its function to deal with the demands of the environment. So I said, oh, my God, the cell is reading the environment. And then telling the, the material inside what they have to do, the organelles, and what we need to do to stay alive in this environment. So it's like, oh, my God, it's the membrane that's doing it. But it had that little simple structure. Well, I can't remember. I think it was 1985 is the night that I was redefining the membrane in a sense of the biochemical understanding. It's a, lipid, a bipolar lipid layer with hydrophilic and hydrophobic zones, blah, blah, blah. And I was redefining the membrane, and I looked at it, and the first thing I recognized is the membrane is crystalline because the molecules that make it up aren't all jumbled. They're all lined up like soldiers on a parade. That's a crystal. So I say the membrane's crystal. But the middle of the membrane, dark, light, dark, the light was fat, lipid. And if you have lipid in there, it prevents communication from the outside the inside. So I say, oh, the membrane is a non-conductor. Nothing can get across. Well, now you got a problem. How'd you get food in? How'd you get waste out? I go, has to cross through the membrane. That's when I recognize the second protein type, receptors, but they're connected to another protein type called a channel. A channel, by definition, is like a conduit. 
you know, like the English Channel. It's a conduit to go between England and, uh, and Europe. It's a channel. Well, in the resting state, the protein channel is closed. Let's just look at it this way. I say, but when it's activated, the channel opens up and makes a tunnel into the cell. And stuff can get into the cell. I say, oh, when the channel opens up, everything can get into the cell. I say, no, it depends on the channel. Sodium channels let sodium in, potassium channels let potassium in, glucose channels let glucose in, histamine channels let histamine in. I go, wait a minute. The channels that determine what goes in. I go, yes, it does. Then I say, are there channels for everything? I say, no, only for some things. So I changed my definition. The membrane is a crystal. It's not a non-conductor anymore, but it's not a full conductor. It's a semiconductor. It only lets certain things in. So I, I write down, membrane is a crystal semiconductor. And then I said there were two kinds of proteins, receptors and channels. Another word for receptor is gate. So I say, now here's my definition. I'm sitting there in 1985 and I write down, uh, the membrane is a crystal semiconductor with gates and channels. And I go, that sounds familiar. In 1985, where did I hear that? I just bought my first Macintosh and I went to Radio Shack and bought a book called Understanding Your Microprocessor. And I said, I opened it up there in the first chapter on the microprocessor. It says a chip is a crystal semiconductor with gates and channels. I go, wow, that's pretty interesting. What a coincidence. A membrane and a chip have the same definition. I wait and dig a little deeper, and I start to recognize, oh my God, they are the same. The membrane is a chip, an information processing chip, and the receptor and a channel represents a bit of data, a bit of information, input, output, receptor, input, channel, output, I-O, bit of data. And I looked at it and I said, oh, geez, my, the cell is a programmable chip. I go, and the nucleus, the hard drive with programs called genes. And I say, and the surface has the receptors, which are like keyboards. And the environment signals type on the keyboard, the receptors activate the receptors, send signals into the channel. The channel activates the proteins in the cell and activates the gene reading. I go, oh my God, a cell is a programmable chip in the environment is the programmer of this chip. Beautiful. And Beautiful. and then it's just like, oh, evolution. So the secret here, didn't go into it a lot, wrote about it, but didn't emphasize it. Evolution, we used to think was due to more genes. That was a Darwinian thing. The more genes, more complexity. So we do the human genome project and we have over 100,000 proteins that make up our body, the little fact of biology. It takes a gene to make a protein. So before with the protein, the genome was studied, everybody go, oh, we're going to have over 100,000 genes, one for each of those proteins. Well, the human has 20,000 genes, which meant the entire understanding of how the damn thing worked was wrong when the genome project came out. It says you, it's, we don't have that many genes. And it turns out that actually the drive force of evolution is the nervous system, not the genes. Uh, uh, there's a name probably almost nobody out there is going to hear or have heard this name, Jean-Baptiste de Lamarck. Lamarck 
wrote the first theory of evolution 50 years before Darwin's theory. Lamarck is credited as the first scientist to write a theory of evolution. And his premise was that evolution is based on the interaction of the environment with the organism because the organisms fit in their environment. Polar bears are not in Africa, they're in the Arctic. Roses are not in the Arctic, they're in the temperate zone. I go, oh, organisms, environment, lockstep interaction. I go, this is what the new science of epigenetics says. Mm -hmm. It's the environment that is selecting the genetics to make the organism fit the environment. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, wow. Then I go, and here, here's the part that I, I took this jump, and it was like amazing because I said, wait, then the membrane's a chip. And I go, yeah. And I said, well, how powerful is your computer? And you say, how many bits of data? I go, oh, in the membrane, bits of data are receptor channel complexes. A cell has over 100,000 different uh, bits of uh, data in its membrane. And I go, so, oh, this cell is a computer chip. And I go, yeah, it's just like Texas, Instru Texas Instruments the calculator. That's a computer chip. What's a computer? Take a whole bunch of those calculator chips and sequence them together, and then you get the ability to make a computer. And I go, your cell is a programmable chip. Put them together in a community. And guess what? It's a multi-chip organism called a computer. That's what the brain is. All the cells are, are processing information and turning it into behavior and function. And that's why the skin of the cell in both the cell and in the human, the skin, are the source of the nervous system because they read the outer environment and then alter the influence on the inner environment to support life in whatever that outer environment is. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I said, oh, you know what this means? the foundation for a theory of evolution that has never been considered. I go, what do you mean? I said, we're looking at evolution as genes. I go, well, that already failed. There are only 20,000 genes we're supposed to have, but we're 100,000. I go, the idea of it is this. Evolution is based on the cell membranes. That if you look at the evolution of cell membranes and then cells and then cells joining together with their membranes with electrical couplings called gap junctions, all of a sudden you start to see these chips are now all being wired. I go, yeah. So I say, what's the basis of evolution? A bit of data. Then I say, you want to know what evolution is about? What increases bits of data? More membrane surface area. I go, guess what? You know, the brain's got all those folds in it, gyre and sulky, surface area. If you look at a, a primitive vertebrate like a rat, the brain is a smooth bubble inside the skull. But when you go up to higher levels, the brain starts to have folds in it. I said, what are these folds? Sulky and gyre. I said, what are they? Surface area. The more surface area in the brain, the more processing. And that's why all of a sudden I said, wow, that's why we, if you take a human brain, put it out flat. <laughs> it's got a large amount of surface area. Surface area, brain. And then, uh, just like the cell, the cell can only have so many, so much membrane. Can't make it any smarter because a bigger cell is not stable. Right. So I say, oh, then evolution stopped when the cell was finished. I go, well, yes, it did. I said, but it didn't. In one way, I say, why? It changed paradigm. First was make the smart cell. And part two was make the community of cells share awareness. And I go, and guess what? The human brain has a limitation of how much surface area it can put into it. Can't make any more brain that can fit in his head. Huh. 
when the smartest human was created, that was as smart as a human was going to get. Then I say, but evolution stopped by making the smartest human. I said at that moment, but evolution part two, put the humans together in community, share awareness. And when we share awareness, then all of a sudden we created the new organism called humanity. Each of us as a cell sharing our awareness in a community, which makes a difference between a single cell and a human. We're all cells, but humans have integrated 50 trillion cells, 50 trillion bits of computer processing, okay? We have a, 8 billion cells out here that the evolution is come together in community because that's where our advances of human civilization have occurred. They didn't occur by individuals. They occurred by individuals making advances, which collectively made something like, how did you make a computer? Well, I forgot what the number was. I forgot how many 3,000 or more different uh, uh, awareness pieces that were then put together. 3,000 different bits of kinds of data were put in to make a computer. The more people, the more data. The more data, the more technology. The more technology, the more this thing evolves. And we're at an evolution rate that's so fast that it can change from day to day because of the 8 billion neurons, in a sense, that are creating our world. And we're facing evolution. I say, what's evolution? Not Darwin. Darwin was survival of the fittest in the struggle for life, which says, screw everybody else. I'm going to be the fittest. I don't care about you guys because it's survival of the fittest. I go, that theory is the most destructive theory on this planet at this moment, because evolution is not competition. Evolution is recognized to be cooperation. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, the competition is creating the violence, the war, the problems. Why 1% have the money and the other ones don't because of competition. I go, that's de-evolution. Evolution, evolution so it is takes us change. It, it, it takes us back to your conversation about stress, the stress response. And now you're talking about the same thing on a community level, where if we focus as a community on stress, survival, uh, survival of the fittest, we're going to have the same destructive results as not going to Stephen, not going to. Right. We are yes. what the self-destruction that we created in the environment is matched by the self-destruction inside the body, which is referred to as autoimmune disease, yeah. which translates as self-destruction. So right. all of a sudden we're starting to see the issues that come into the body. They're not caused by genes, they're autoimmune disease. Cancer is caused by not living in harmony in your system, okay? Uh, diabetes, not living in harmony with nature and the environment. Yes, Stephen. Okay, we're running out of time. No, we're not. Oh, yes, we are. Okay. <laughs> And I had two other points I wanted to check with you on. Let's see if we could put them together because yes. you talk about quantum physics. Yes. And you also talk about spirit. Yes. Can you, can you bring those two into Very a quickly. response? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we live in illusion. Uh, 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 it's interesting. Albert Einstein quote was, 
Uh, reality is merely an illusion, albeit a persistent one. I say, what's the illusion? The illusion is that there are physical things and non-physical things. And that says, oh, well, then physical things are made out of physical atoms. And this is where quantum physics came in, because in the Newton world, they separated the universe into matter and energy, two different realms that don't interact, really. And I said, well, what did quantum physics find out? Well, they said, well, what the hell is an atom made out of? Because it used to be atom, the word means uncuttable. Uh, and then they found, well, they could cut it and they could open up and there was a little solar system, nucleus and electrons running around and with different smaller particles, protons, neutrons, etc. But quantum physics came into reality when they said, what the hell is a proton made out of, a neutron or electron? And they looked inside, nothing physical. It's all energy. All atoms are energy. Everything made out of atoms are energy. And we have an illusion that we live in matter, Okay. Well, the relevance about this in quantum physics is energy, is everything is energy. All of us are connected together in this energy. There's no border to an energy that says energy stops here and something starts over here. Energy is mixed. It's like raindrops on a pond. All the ripples are connected. We are connected to energy fields. No two people receive the same identity energy field which in, in, in biology, we refer to the receptors, the antennas that read these energy fields as self-receptors. No two people have the same set of receptors reading an energy field. And I say, what's an energy field? Well, an energy field definition is invisible moving forces that influence the physical world and a field. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, what's the definition of spirit? invisible moving forces that influence the physical field the physical realm i go oh well spirit and field have the same definition i go absolutely and i go so what's different i say we are each receivers of an energy field that no one else receives because our receptors pick up that vibration and your receptors don't and no two people share that so we're each downloading i say then who who are we i say we're not the body that's the recipient of the field. Uh, simple point. Body's like a television set. The broadcast is the field or spirit. Same word, field or spirit. The broadcast that I pick up is not the same broadcast you guys are picking up or anybody else in the audience. I'm playing a show on my TV body. Uh, so you can say, this is Bruce's TV. And you're now watching the Bruce show on this TV. And I go, significance, this is the whole thing. It changed my life. This one point. I go, what does it mean? I say, well, when you're watching a TV and it breaks, we say the TV's dead. And I go, yeah, it is. Is the broadcast still going? Aha. Uh -huh. Yes, it is. Get another TV. Tune it to the station. Same show is on. Bodies are TVs. And when embryos are developed, they get a set of self-receptors. If you die and a future embryo has the same set of self-receptors, your broadcast is now playing through a different TV. Does it make a difference, male or female? No, that's a TV. Does it make a difference if it's white, brown, black, red, yellow? I guess, no, that's a TV. We are not the TVs. We are the broadcast. And I go, oh, my God, you can't die. You're not even in here. And I, I, so I got to close with this because it was real cr critical in my thinking moment science guy just finding out oh my god i'm a spiritual entity i'm an energy field that's different than you guys having your own energy fields which makes you different from everybody else we're all playing our own station and then i said i can't die because the field is still there and it's like oh man it was so great because the fear of death if you really own this 
There is no fear of death because you cannot die. And I bought that right away. Yeah. But then I, being a science guy, I asked myself a question. What was my question? I said, why have a spirit and a body? Why not just be the spirit? I asked that question, and that led me to understand I have Jewish comedian cells. I said, what do you mean? I asked the question, why have a body and a spirit? Why not just be a spirit? 50 trillion cells answered with a question. I said, what, what, why have both? And this is what the cell said. It is so profound. Blow your head. Ready? Why have both? And the cells said, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? Think about that. It's deep. You say matzo ball soup. It's all deep. It's basically, basically says this. This is an extension of spirit. Mm -hmm. It provides things that spirit can't do, like see, smell, taste. Feel. What does love feel like? Spirit can't tell you that. That's an energy field. The body translates the chemistry of love into energy, sending it back to source so that we have an experience of what love is about. Mm -hmm. uh, very quickly, I, I know you want to end, but I want to just add this quickie. And that is, we can't go to Mars. You want to know what Mars is like? We send up the Mars rover. It could look like a machine. I go, yeah, but guess what? It's a human. I say, what do you mean? It's got all the receptors vision sight sound everything i said how does it work i said there's a guy at nasa he sends a signal it's picked up by the antenna i said then what he drives a vehicle around then what the vehicle reads the environment and sends the information back to the guy at nasa and the guy at nasa has an experience of what it's like to live on mars well welcome to the earth rover mm. <laughs> why because we're getting a signal from source that drives us around, which creates the life we want to have, if we could. That's the download of our spirit. Mm -hmm. And that once we're into this machine, we move around. And then we move around and we have all the sensations of moving around and all the experience, but we're also creating. Right. And this is where Bruce Lipton, non-spiritual guy, wakes up at this moment of time and says, You don't die and go to heaven? You're born into heaven. I said, What do you mean? I said, we're earth rovers. We're creators. We're creating what the spirit wants and dealing with the environment of this thing. And I say, but if you, you have a desire to make heaven, that's a creation, then manifest heaven. You can do that. But your programs don't necessarily let us do that. I changed my program. I have been living heaven on earth for 28 years. Why? Got rid of the programs that took away the vision of the, the beauty of this place. And I want people to understand if there is a heaven, it's right here. Mm -hmm. Right here. Right. It gets us right back to, we could sum it all up in what your title of your book was, Biology of Belief. That's a good title. It, yep, it's a great title. <laughs> and it could be the title of our conversation. And it, it's certainly the title of the television station of Bruce Lipton. <laughs> yeah, this is the Bruce Show. Hope you like it. I loved it, Bruce. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, really. Stephen, Robert hiding air in the dark. I know you're out there. Here's the whole idea is I hope the people that listen to this start to get a little idea of it because most of them see life as a struggle, which is a Darwinian belief that we put into the system and then manifest. And I say, if you understand the new understanding of epigenetics, 
and the concept of Lamarck, which is we are in harmony with nature. And if we live in harmony with nature, we are gifted and encouraged by nature. One of the gifts is longevity. If you're really living in harmony, nature says, come on, stay around here. But if you're one of the people that's screwing up nature, it's like, eh, we don't need no stinking humans. You know, when humans are gone, nature replaces herself without us very happily. Thank you so much, Bruce. Uh, it's been such an enjoyable, pleasurable hour. It went really fast. Too fast. We'll have to do it again. <laughs> I would love to. I love working with you guys because I know collectively what you're doing is creating the consciousness, the knowledge. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Uh, and what I try to tell people when I start to lecture, I say, knowledge is power. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, wait, wait, let me say it in a way that might be more relevant. I say, a lack of knowledge is a lack of power. Mm-hmm. And we as a group have been uh, deprived of the new science. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, what is, what yeah. is your website or how people can reach you and learn more about Simple. you? BruceLipton.com. Oh, it's a good And there's website. so much on everything we talked about and more. The kitchen sink is in there. There's lots of stuff. It's free. Download. Enjoy. And in the process, support my dear friend Stephen and Robert in their program here. Why? They're offering that knowledge the knowledge, the power to not survive on this planet, but to thrive on this planet. And thank you guys for letting me participate in the show. Thank you, Bruce. If you are enjoying this program, please hit that subscribe button or even better, leave a review. Your support makes it possible for us to create the quality programming that we're continually striving for. Also, let us know if there is a certain topic that you would like to see covered or a particular guest that you would like to hear from. Can I start? Is it recording? It's already recording. Oh, sorry. This is for general information and educational purposes only, and it's not intended to constitute or substitute for medical advice or counseling. The practice of medicine or the provision of healthcare diagnosis or treatment or the creation of a physician, patient, or clinical relationship. The use of this information is at their own own user's risk. If you find this to be on the value, please hit that like button to subscribe to support the work that we do on this channel. And we take your suggestions and advice very seriously, so please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next time. You should say that. That's good. That's pretty good. You like it? You want to do it one more time or take it? I think that was good. You need to save the recording. Very good.